0: hundreds flee from approaching wildfires. Why it feels like a repeat for those living near 100 Mile
1: House.
2: Families devastated by the Kelowna construction disaster.
1: Can't think of continuing through life without Kalen.
2: Calls for better safety measures as crews start dismantling the collapsed crane.
3: And
0: major changes when you dial 911. We need an
3: ambulance service for the 21st century, not the 20th century.
0: an extensive overhaul of BC's troubled emergency health system
4: You're watching Global BC This is Global News
3: Hour at 6
2: Good evening and thanks for joining us. We start with breaking wildfire news with 25 new fires burning in the province, several of them highly visible.
0: Some are prompting evacuation orders and alerts with hundreds forced from their properties. Julia Foy is live with the details and the communities affected. Julia?
5: Well, it could be a busy night tonight for firefighters and residents living in many areas of the province. Let's start near 100 Mile House. Two new evacuation orders have been put into place, covering more than 1,500 properties to the south and northwest of 100 Mile. Now, those residents are being told to leave immediately and go to 100 Mile or up to Williams Lake. One order applies to over 1,000 properties in the Green Lake and Flat Lake areas. The other covers 482 properties from between uh, Hood and Canham Lakes. Now, the district of Hunter Mile House and its more than 2,000 residents have also been placed under an evacuation alert. Nearly 20 patients of the community's hospital are being moved to other facilities in preparation for potential fire-related impacts to the facility now the thomas fire that we've been hearing about sparked up again today there were helicopters bucketing that fire is burning out of control near east of okanagan falls 30 firefighters are on the ground concentrating on the area of the fire closest to homes on the west and southwest flanks Now, that blaze is estimated to be 1,500 hectares. A bit of good news there, the fire is mostly burning east, away from the populated areas. Now, if that wasn't enough, we have just heard in the last little while that an evacuation order has just been announced for 50 properties in the Ashcroft area, and the village of Cache Creek has also been placed under an evacuation alert. So we'll be keeping an eye on all of those fires throughout the evening. Back to you.
0: Busy night for sure. Thanks very much, Julia.
2: BC's
5: health minister has announced
2: major changes to address the crisis in our ambulance service. Global News has been reporting on multiple ambulance horror stories, with people waiting hours for help. Jordan Armstrong has the details on the government's plan and reaction from paramedics who've been calling for an overhaul.
6: More leadership. More resources, more support for paramedics. BC's health minister is responding to the ambulance emergency.
3: The necessary confidence that when we call 911, help is on the way, has been tested. And now it needs to be strengthened and restored.
6: The Dix Fix includes a new chief ambulance officer, which in the interim will be filled by Leanne Heppel, a trained clinical nurse who's had various leadership roles with health authorities and BC Ambulance. TELUS CEO Darren Entwistle will serve as a special advisor to the BC Emergency Health Services Board, a board that will now be chaired by former Vancouver Police Chief Jim Chu. I think
7: we can be collaborative, reach consensus to make the ambulance service as efficient and as effective as it can be.
6: Another change, the board, chaired by Chu, will report directly to Dix. The health minister also announced 85 new full-time paramedics, 30 full-time dispatchers, 22 new ambulances, the conversion of 22 rural ambulance stations to 24-7 stations, a good start, says the union.
8: I'm optimistic about the structure they put in place and some of the announcements. We still have a lot more work to do and uh, I'm uh, encouraged by a new structure. Paramedics
6: have been raising concerns about staffing and patient care for some time. You've been health minister almost four years now. Why did it take a deadly heat wave in the lives of more than 700 British Columbians for government to announce these changes.
3: Well, with great respect, um, we've done that. And You look at the rate of increase, we've doubled the rate of increase in spending on the ambulance service. We've hired hundreds of ambulance paramedics, right? And so we've made a transformative change.
6: While new leaders are being brought in, Dix confirms no one is being forced out. Global News revealed BCEHS did not activate its emergency coordination center until the day the deadly heat wave began to subside. Since then, thousands have signed a petition calling for COO Darlene McKinnon to be fired.
3: I think some of the criticism is unfair.
6: The minister adds chronic stress and fatigue are major issues at BC Ambulance, so a contract team of mental health professionals will be brought in to work directly with dispatch staff and paramedics. As for when patients and their families can expect to see a change in service...
3: We hope to see uh, results uh, soon, and we're going to need to. And this is going to be, though, I say to everyone, this is going to be a hard summer.
6: Jordan Armstrong, Global News. All right,
2: let's bring in our Keith Baldry for more on the crisis facing the ambulance service. Keith, you've been Mm -hmm. doing some digging around. What's behind the surge in calls we've seen?
9: Yeah, last week I reported on the big surge in calls going from 1,500 a day before the pandemic to now upwards of 1,900 a day at the beginning of this month. Dropped down a bit to around 1,700, 1,800 a day. Still a big uptick in ambulance calls. And in particular, for ailments in particular, health problems are driving the surge. Take a look at this. So first of all, if compared to the first six months of 2019, the pre-pandemic to now, overdose calls by far and away, the largest increase. 28% there, up more than 3,300. Heart problems, up more than 1,000 at 24% abdominal pain, complaints up again, 11%, uh, 14%. And chest pains also experiencing a big surge at more than 2100 over the same period in 2019. Now, what's driving these calls? i have talked to Minister Dix about this, other health officials. They say probably a variety of reasons, everything from perhaps people not wanting to engage in virtual care if they have particular pains, they want to see someone in person. So that's why emergency room visits are up as well. And basic stress is coming from the pandemic. And also people may have put off health Healthcare decisions throughout the pandemic and they may be paying a price now. Uh, we'll be keeping an eye on these statistics throughout the summer because Adrian Dix, you heard him tell Jordan Armstrong, it's going to be a very busy summer.
2: Yeah, we're certainly seeing that now. All right, thanks for that, Keith.
0: The body of the fifth and final victim of a fatal crane collapse in Kelowna has now been recovered. Crews stabilized the site And Vancouver's heavy urban search and rescue team was able to enter the zone and recover his remains. Nitu Garcha has the latest from Kelowna, including work to dismantle the crane. Nitu,
10: Yeah, the work started early this morning and continued through the afternoon. Two more cranes were set up as experts worked from the top down to dismantle the collapsed crane, which claimed the lives of five men. And today we heard from the father of one of them. Working from the top down, experts dismantling the collapsed crane that killed five men, including Kalen Vilness.
1: Unfortunately, uh, my son was one of the ones that perished in the accident.
10: Chris says his son was born and raised in Kitimat, and the family got to Kelowna as soon as they could via a private jet after hearing about Monday morning's crane collapse.
1: I've worked in construction my whole life. So uh, is his older brother. Um, his older brother's an iron worker, and Wallett wanted to follow suit.
10: He lived with his girlfriend, Jadeen who says it was his first day back on the job.
11: The reason why he went back to Stemmer on Monday was because of the um, crane. They asked him specifically to take down the crane. So when I saw the crane down, I knew he was on the crane and he wasn't answering.
1: I was actually coming up here um, August long weekend to help them move into possibly their forever home for them to start their life.
10: also killed, Eric Stemmer and his brother Patrick, who was the crane's operator. Stemmer Construction is their family's business. Their co-worker, Jared Zook, also died.
7: This would be the worst structural collapse that I've responded to.
10: David Boone helped recover the body of a fifth man from a nearby office building overnight with a specialized team of first responders from Vancouver.
7: You know, there's all that unsecured load that we have to deal with, and the patient was um, located to be, to be underneath all that material. What comes of many tragedies is, um, is uh, a reminder of safe work practice and uh, perhaps some change in, in protocol.
10: WorkSafe BC at the site on Wednesday as the International Union of Operating Engineers calls for changes.
3: We're calling on the government to mandate compulsory certification for assemblers and dismantlers in the industry.
10: And as families wondering how one of the worst crane collapses in the country's history happened, are left gripped with their grief.
1: Our family's close. Real close. So...
10: The union says the city of Vancouver implemented a number of crane safety recommendations. And for its part, the city of Kelowna says it will consider taking similar steps when the time is right, noting its staff right now are focused on supporting the families of the victims and those who remain evacuated. Back to you.
0: Long road for them. Thank you, Nitu.
2: A terrifying night for vacationers in the Fraser Valley after a trailer in their pat- packed campground burst into flames in bone dry conditions. As Grace Key reports, bystanders grabbed fire extinguishers and garden hoses to keep the fire from spreading.
5: Well, Jen, get out! Get out!
12: Oh my God! We got to go to the hospital! What? Oh my God! Somebody call
13: a family camping trip at Cultus Lake turns tragic with a 74-year-old man barely escaping a trailer fire and a dog perishing in the flames. People at Sunnyside Campground woke to the terrifying screams just before midnight.
9: All of a sudden I heard the word help, so I booked it out of my campsite and ran to where the fire was and it was through the roof at that point and there was only about 3 people there and we just yelled inside to see if anybody was in there and I tried to pry open a window and Smoke was coming up, billowing out. The first thing I started asking was, is there anybody inside? And then I heard people screaming, there's a guy inside, there's a guy inside.
13: The man managed to escape on his own with his clothes on fire. That's when a camper jumped in to put out the flames with his bare hands.
9: He came out and basically fell on his face out front, in front of the door. And I saw it and I just went around the other side of him. His shirt was on fire. I put his shirt out and his hair was... Just with your hands? Yeah, with my hands.
13: An off-duty firefighter helped as campers rushed with garden hoses and fire extinguishers trying to put out the flames as the fire jumped to a nearby tree.
8: We grabbed the extinguisher and a bunch of other people were running down with their extinguishers and at this point they weren't doing much to combat the fire with extinguishers but people were still coming up and trying to blast.
14: I freaked out and I just started collecting, you know, you go into panic mode. I just grabbed as many things I could and I called him. And I was like, you have to come back now, there's a fire. And he's on the other side being like, the guy's alive, he's alive. And I didn't realize he was right there in the middle of it. So he came running back.
6: So we had a tow strap in my truck and uh, there was a chain crossed across the the gate. So we ripped the chain off, sorry, campground. Um, But we ripped the chain off with my truck so the other vehicles could follow us out. We were worried that a forest fire would start and that everyone would be trapped in here.
13: The fire didn't spread and the man was flown to hospital in critical condition. The trailer was a long-term rental. The cause of the fire is still under investigation. Grace Key, Global News. The
0: parents of Robinson Russ are joining the Vancouver Police Department to call for any information that could help solve his murder.
1: He always told me he loved me. And that meant a lot to me. And I miss hearing those words. I miss giving him that hug before we part.
0: The 37-year-old Russ was attacked on Easter Sunday at a construction site at 46 West Hastings Street. He was rushed to hospital where he later died from stab wounds. Police say they're aware a number of people were near the scene and may have witnessed it when Russ was stabbed.
15: It's so very hard to deal with this. Robinson's death has affected our family
4: in many many ways he's so dearly and loving in this
6: we know that there were dozens of people in this block when robinson was stabbed we know there are people in the community who saw what happened who know what happened or who have information about what happened those people need to come forward Russ's
0: family is offering a $2,000 reward for information leading to the arrest of a suspect. And they're calling on anyone with information to please contact Vancouver police.
2: Iranian Canadians targeted in a plot that seems like it's right out of a big screen thriller. What a former captive of the Iranian government says about the plan to kidnap journalists who speak up against the regime. That's next on the NewsHour.
0: A warning to avoid Stanley Park. The risk of coyote attacks closes part of Vancouver's crown jewel. What the city is doing about it, coming up.
2: And the Vancouver Canucks unveil the name and logo of their new Abbotsford farm team. Why not everyone is impressed. Later.
0: Right now, though, a Canadian connection tonight to the story of four Iranian intelligence officers charged in the U.S., with a shocking kidnapping scheme.
2: They're accused of planning to abduct three Canadians and several others who are critical of the Iranian regime and taking them back to Iran. Ted Chernecki has the details and talks with an Iranian man in Vancouver who escaped Iran's death penalty.
4: It could be mistaken for a Hollywood screenplay, but according to the FBI, it's all very real. An Iranian hit squad targeting outspoken critics of the Iranian government plans to kidnap at least five people, including three Canadians. In one plan, the squad looked at hiring a fast boat to take their victims to Venezuela, then Iran. Saeed is living in exile in Vancouver after escaping a death sentence in Iran. They put me... More than two years in solitary source. Yeah, and after they beat me, they used, you know, electric shocks. Yeah. Like every day? Or? For, for two months, actually. Every day. They, every day, they, you know, tortured me. He was living in Victoria, writing open-source software in Farsi that someone else later used for pornography. When visiting his parents in Iran, he was picked up off the streets and would spend 11 years in prison before escaping. <sighs> The FBI did not name the five targets, but Iranian journalist Masih Alinejad posted this video saying she was a target. She actually interviewed Saeed, and to this day he considers her a hero. He also was a personal friend of journalist Rohala Zam. They kidnapped him, they uh, send. Uh, they bring back him to Iran, they put him in the court and they hang him, they killed him. Human rights activists believe Masi would probably have met the same fate. Court documents show the Iranian network that one of the accused ran targeted individuals in Canada, hired private investigators who took photos and videos of the Canadians at home and work.
5: I don't think anybody benefits from silence. I think Um, Silence can breed impunity. I think when people know that they are going to be targets, the best thing to do is to really shine light on these methods, to um, stand together, and also to really encourage prosecutors and lawmakers and others who have access to tools that can thwart this activity.
4: I believe if I live in fear, I almost like I don't. I want to. I want to live, you know, in, uh, with you know, happiness or something like that. Only one of the five suspects is in custody. The other four are still at large. Ted Churnick, Global News.
2: Still ahead, an antidote to BC's declining vaccination rate. First secondary.
16: First secondary.
2: The city bus converted to a mobile clinic, and what the health minister says about whether we've hit a plateau. And
0: vacation scams that'll make you want to stay home. Coming up on Consumer Matters.
10: Traffic is steady in both directions this evening at the Alex Fraser Bridge, which is some minor leftover volume eastbound on the east-west connector between Knight and the S-curve. From home to car insurance, BCAA's local experts are here for all your insurance needs. Visit bcaa.com. Trish Jew in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge.
0: The special stories that shape our province, as suggested by our viewers. This is BC with Jay Durant. Real people, real stories. On Global News Hour at 6. On the COVID-19 front, because we are still reporting that, we're seeing another drop in hospital numbers in this province.
2: We have 41 new cases, and currently there are 639 active cases. Hospitalizations are improving with 65 patients, 11 of them in ICU. And for the sixth day in a row now, no new deaths to report. On the vaccination front, 79.3% of people um, 12 years old And older have received their first dose of vaccine. 47.3% have received their second dose.
0: Now, even though the number of British Columbians getting that second jab is rising rapidly, the first dose numbers seem to have stalled at just above 80% for those 18+. plus.
2: That means nearly one in five adult British Columbians haven't been vaccinated. And as Richard, Richard Zussman reports, that fact could have some serious implications into the fall and beyond.
7: It's an express heading to immunization. This TransLink bus in White Rock Wednesday retrofitted to trade stops for
10: shots. It's beautiful out here in White Rock. The sun is shining, and so we're just wanting to meet the community where they're at for easy accessibility.
7: On May 17th, nearly two months ago, 55.8% of adults in BC had received at least one COVID vaccine. That shot up into June, but since July, the growth has slowed as we creep over 80%.
3: And we're going to continue to push that number up. It's not going to go up as quickly as before, but we haven't hit a plateau. We're going to keep going and going and going. And even
7: though Dick says it's not a plateau, first doses have clearly slowed. Hundreds of thousands of adults in B.C. still choosing not to get vaccinated. Some countries are seeing case counts rise and restrictions return with the Delta variant spreading.
14: 80% of adults, we're, we're not even yet at 70% of all people vaccinated. So it's, it's not enough to counter the spread rate of these highly transmissible variants.
7: The Delta variant is far more common in those who are not vaccinated. And one expert says BC could get to 95% vaccination for adults if they move away from clinics like this and more techniques like the mobile bus available at workplaces, at shopping centers, where people are. So it's just really easy to
15: get vaccinated.
7: There has also been a seismic shift to second doses, climbing in May from mostly first doses to now where it's overwhelmingly the second jab.
4: We need to get to the double vaccination status to ensure that we are well protected against the potentially more contagious variants.
7: The final challenge is children under the age of 12. They likely can't get the shot until at earliest the fall. But the hope from experts is when they can get it, the province will provide it as quickly as possible. Richard Sussman, Global News, Victoria.
2: Many British Columbians are eager for some long-awaited R&R this summer as COVID restrictions ease and travel opens up. But criminals don't take time off. Consumer Matters reporter Andrea is here with more on the vacation scams to avoid. And
15: Thanks, Sophie. When making holiday plans, the Better Business Bureau is warning consumers to be wary of false promises and outright scams. Here's a look at the top four to watch out for. Vacation rental cons. This involves fake listings for properties that don't exist, are not for rent, or are very different from photos shown online. Free vacation offers when a travel company averages advertises a free vacation it's probably not add-on fees taxes levies and other charges could cost you fraudsters may also make cold calls saying you've won a free vacation or cruise but you need to make a payment to claim the win hotel scams when you book a room scammers may use fake front desk calls or offer free wi-fi connections to skim your credit card information Third-party booking site scams. These are very sophisticated with elaborate websites and sponsored ads for air travel or hotels. Often the flights don't exist or they take personal information and ask you to make payments. The end of the day, it's it's crucial
10: that you do your research. You have to check out these ads that are being posted. You have to check out the website. You have to make sure that these are legitimate offers being made to you. If someone is calling you over the phone before you share information, validate their identity, validate where they say they are calling from, get all of that information and do not be rushed into making decisions without doing those preliminary investigations. So if someone is forcing you to make payments, especially outside of the, the, the usual or accepted payment methods, that in itself is also
16: a red flag.
15: The Better Business Bureau also suggests using a credit card for any legitimate payments because it gives you an added level of security when paying online. And remember, if a deal sounds too good to be true, make sure you double-check because it likely is. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at globalnews.ca.
2: All right, thanks for that, Anne. Up next, why your safety can't
0: be guaranteed in Stanley Park. You use the park at your own risk at this point. What the Conservation Officer Service is doing to take care of a coyote problem.
2: And the decades-long wait for clean water in a B.C. First Nation. And how a team from UBC stepped in to help.
10: Traffic is steady in both directions over here tonight at the Massey Tunnel. Keep in mind there is some overnight maintenance that has you down to one lane both ways between 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. Through a, cha- a new charitable partnership between Kermac Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital. When you choose Kermac Collision and Auto Glass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Center. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel.
2: Enter Stanley Park at your own risk. That message from conservation officers after a string of coyote attacks. In fact, the latest attack involving a two-year-old girl has led to the closure of part of the park as efforts ramp up to track down and euthanize the animals. John Waugh reports.
12: Pulling up in Stanley Park on a beautiful, picturesque day. An appealing plan likely shared by many but one that comes with a stern warning from BC Conservation. Do so at your own peril.
17: If you choose to use the park, uh, it would be at your own risk. Yeah, it's, it's impossible for us to protect public from uh, such a coyote attack.
12: This after a two-year-old girl was attacked at around 9.30 Monday evening. Her family just setting up for a late evening picnic near the parking lot of the Vancouver Aquarium. The coyote came from nowhere. They're a very fast animal and he focused on the little girl, attacked the little girl. The little girl's father was able to fight off the coyote with a chair, but the damage to his daughter was done. Some bite mark at the neck and at the head and some scratch on her arm. The two-year-old girl is back home recovering. BC Conservation will patrol Stanley Park with a predatory attack specialist over the next 48 hours. This animal wasn't scared at all. He was completely brave and completely just came straight up to us right away. So I think that's what was the most terrifying part of the whole situation. This picture of Tara Aspen and her relatives was taken near the Stanley Park Lighthouse on July 4th just moments before a coyote caused utter panic. I felt like a sharp pain and then I realized it was a wild animal and then I heard my friend screaming it's a coyote, it's a coyote Aspen said despite it being very busy in the area, the coyote went straight for them. They ended up giving me a tetanus shot for the, for the bite because, you know, when you get bit by a wild animal, it's kind of, kind of a serious incident, right? BC Conservation says there have been more than 30 reported attacks in the area since December 19th last year. While two coyotes were euthanized in January, the search is on for a pack of at least six more aggressive animals. You have to expect to be able to, uh, to encounter a coyote that could be aggressive and attack you. At this point, any plans to come to Stanley Park isn't a matter of if you might run into an aggressive coyote. It's when. John Hua, Global News. For over
0: 20 years, a remote BC First Nation community has relied on year-round deliveries of bottled water. But now the Dene Nation has finally tapped into a clean water supply with the help of a team from UBC. Catherine Urquhart has the story.
14: It was a day to celebrate and a long time in coming. (laughs) About 200 kilometers west of Quenelle, at the remote Luz Kouzdené Nation, the arrival of something residents have been fighting for, something most of us take for granted, clean, drinkable water straight out of
16: the tap. The impact has been big, very big. That's awesome. So um, for the community, that was the greatest achievement.
14: After decades of relying on bottled water, this remote community of about 50 people has a new water treatment plant, a collaborative effort involving UBC's Faculty of Applied Science and the RASO Centre for Mobilizing
15: Innovation. The particular water treatment that we um, have uh, in place now uh, relies on groundwater, uh, so well water. It goes through a couple of uh, treatment steps and there is a filtration followed by ultraviolet light to inactivate or remove um, all the microbes and pathogens. And then after that, uh, there is a little bit of a chlorine as a residual disinfectant.
14: The water treatment plant has been set up so that it's easy to maintain and repair. It ends a 14-year boil water advisory. Even though we
16: have uh, a lot of lakes surrounding, surrounding us all over, we never had drinking water.
14: An estimated 6 million Canadians living in Indigenous and non-urban communities do not have access to reliable clean drinking water. It's hoped the plant near quinell may be just the
15: beginning. That aspect can be translated and can be scaled out and up uh, to many other communities around the province and around the country.
14: And for members of the Luz Kuz Dene Nation, a big day. Finally, They have the most basic of life's necessities, clean, drinkable water. Catherine Urquhart, Global News.
2: Well, from clean water to no water, Vancouver Island struggles with drought.
9: You don't want to be in this position.
2: Just ahead, how it could become a recurring problem.
0: And coming up, the fascinating backstory of the beloved Johnny Canuck logo special
7: stories that shape our province as suggested by our viewers this is bc with jay durant real people real stories
0: on global news hour at six you're watching global news hour at six
2: RCMP and Surrey have made an arrest in a series of small fires that appear to have been deliberately set in Cloverdale. The fires were set near 184th Street along 56th Avenue near Kw- Kwantlen Polytechnic University. Calls came in that a series of small fires had been set. Thankfully, they were put out before significant damage occurred. One man was arrested and the investigation continues. The
0: impact of last month's record-breaking heat is still being felt in BC. Authorities on the Gulf Islands say they're experiencing one of the worst water shortages ever.
16: Kylie
2: Stanton has more on the issues uh, drought conditions are already causing and why there's no easy solution in sight. As the
11: temperature rises, so does the demand.
4: People suddenly they want more water for irrigation. Some of the wells start showing some stress.
11: Ronan Heitzman has been working non-stop here on Salt Spring Island, trucking water to residents already running dry.
4: We just want to be there to fill the gap. Right
11: now, that gap is huge. It's
6: the
17: worst that that I've seen it.
11: The lack of rainfall this spring and wave of extreme heat in early summer has put much of Vancouver Island and southern BC in level 4 drought conditions. Level 5 is considered severe. But on Salt Spring Island, where only two lakes, St. Mary's and Maxwell, provide drinking water to half of the island's residents, the situation is being called dire.
17: And we're seriously considering going to, to stage four water restrictions.
11: That would have massive implications on the residents and public facilities. Under stage four, there is no sprinkler watering and no washing of vehicles or boats. Driveways, patios, buildings and sidewalks can't be cleaned. There's no filling of pools, hot tubs or water features and no watering of public parks or new lawns.
3: If all the trends continue, uh, we can see uh, going into uh, stage four at the end of this month.
11: But what's even more concerning is these trends will become the norm.
16: This is climate change, and uh, there are lots of uh, long-term issues that uh, all of us are concerned about.
11: The district is looking at storage options, perhaps even manually raising the level of St. Mary's Lake. But all of that costs money, and because Salt Spring is an improvement district, it's prohibited from receiving any provincial grant funding.
3: To try to address all these issues just uh, on the backs of the ratepayers is going to be very, very, very challenging.
11: For now, the only option is to conserve. But with no rainfall in sight here, water becomes a finite resource. Every drop more precious than the last.
4: We need to get it together and start addressing this.
11: Kylie Stanton, Global News.
0: Got to gotta get some rain somewhere, but uh, there isn't a lot of that in the forecast. We'll check in with Christy right now for a look ahead.
16: Yeah, so there was a glimpse of uh, potential for some on Friday and potentially into Saturday, but really that's fizzling as we'll likely just see cloud cover and I'll show you why in a second. But first, here's a quick look at the drought levels across the province right now. A uh, Level three is in brown, a level four in red. Uh, one area in the interior under a level four also, that's the Salmon River, pardon me, uh, the, yes, sorry, the Salmon River area, right near Salmon Arm. Um, but you can see sort of Chilcotin, Caribou region, right down to the Okanagan Valley at a level three. And this can have a huge impact on wildlife. This can have a huge impact on crops, as well as uh, livestock uh, for farmers. So a massive, a widespread uh, impact. Now, drought levels are uh, calculated based on long term uh, precipitation. Uh, fire danger rating can actually um, vary from day to day. Now, as we head into the next Couple of days, we are going to see a little bit more cloud cover and the cooler conditions, but we still have no significant rain in the forecast. There's the current wildfire situation. We're talking about 25 fires of note, 97 out of control, 309 currently. And this is the scene out there in the interior, just widespread smoke. Now, tomorrow, we're not going to see much wind likely. So a lot of the smoke is going to stay within the areas that have the fires. So you can see that with the forecast there. Some uh, northerly flow, but just generally not a lot of winds uh, to sort of move that smoke out of the area so a lot of regions will be socked in Uh, across the north you can see that cloud cover a lot of it will push in later in the day across the south though it's not until Friday and Saturday that you'll see the cloud cover south coast you'll wake up to cloud tomorrow morning sunshine by the afternoon but mainly cloudy skies expected on Friday and you can see temperatures certainly much near more near seasonal so much more comfortable and that will be the case in through the interior regions as well Tonight's central windows weather window is from the caribou region these kids wrote thank you to all the firefighters out there gorgeous well done you guys that must have taken a lot of work
2: firefighter firefighters appreciate that for sure
0: they're working very hard for us and uh, and we do appreciate it thanks a lot christy
2: well it was the big name revealed today for the vancouver canucks farm team in abbotsford
0: and the vancouver canucks went way out on a creative limb and we'll call the team the
2: abbotsford canucks <laughs> That's the jersey. I mean,
17: it's, it's a nice jersey, Squire. I don't mind the jersey, and of course the logo is loved by many people in Canucks Nation. You see the green jersey, Jim Benning's wearing the white, and that's what we have right now. Oh. I mean, at
2: least we won't have to get used to saying a new name. Except we'll have nope. to No, well, but now you've got
17: to separate them. You've got to say Vancouver or Abbotsford every yeah. time you say Or Canucks. you could probably say the baby Canucks if you like. But there it is. Johnny Canuck is back. Uh, we'll give you the history of Johnny Canuck because this was actually used, uh, this logo was actually used way back in the early 60s when the Canucks. The Vancouver Canucks were a farm team. So we'll talk about that.
2: you got to differentiate now. That's right. All right, Squire, thank you. Also tonight, breakthrough for sports fans. Why they really have something to cheer about in Abbotsport, not just because of the Canucks.
0: No
17: aviators, no pilots. We and they had to delay
2: the announcement. Yeah,
17: they had to back it uh, yeah, up. Yeah, I couldn't I? figure out why that happened. i got to dig to the bottom of that. Why was time needed? But whatever the case, yeah, we thought it might be something to do with aviation. But when the Canucks brought their farm team to Abbotsford, they had a different idea in mind. That was speculation. Maybe the Abbotsford aviators, something to do with aviation anyways. But... We now know, as you just found out, it's the Canucks, which does seem a bit lazy. It's sort of like purposely marrying someone because they have the same last name as you, and it just avoids a lot of hassle. But there is a marketing strategy to this, and you have to give the Canucks credit for this. And it all has to do with the logo. A lot of people have wanted the Canucks to get rid of the orca and go back to their roots when they were a minor league team and Johnny Canuck was on their sweater. So I thought, you know what? Let's look back. the history of this logo and so what I had to do was phone Jim Robson who is a human Wikipedia when it comes to the history of the Vancouver Canucks and got the story of the Johnny Canuck logo. The Johnny Canuck logo has been a favorite of a lot of Canuck fans for years so from a marketing standpoint it made sense to get it on the Abbotsford Canucks uniform. For many people, this logo is more popular than the whale that's currently used by the Vancouver Canucks, or even the stick logo, which is occasionally used. We've seen Johnny Canuck videos over the years that were popular. Roberto Luongo used to have Johnny Canuck on his mask. But a lot of people who love it weren't around when it was first used by the Canucks. The logo came from a Quebec beer company in the 1950s that Canucks trainer Ed Shamlock thought would make a great Vancouver Canucks logo, so he kind of borrowed it. But it was only used briefly in the 1960s as the Canucks preferred this look instead. So for the first time since the early 60s, Johnny Canuck is once again on a Canuck sweater. And I think they'll sell a few because of that. Of course, the uh, Abbotsford Canucks replaced the Utica Comets of, as, of, as they replaced the Utica Comets as Vancouver's farm team, but they brought uh, as many of the staff from Utica as they could, like GM Ryan Johnson, who used to play for the Canucks, blocked a lot of shots. Uh, having the farm team just down the road means you'll be able to. Uh, See a lot of players go back and forth between the big team and the minor league team and scouting the prospects will be way easier as well.
3: This is a huge step for us. We're excited about having our our, uh, American League affiliate right in our backyard Um, and I think we've spoken very often about the benefits of that but it's a great step for our entire organization. Um, Like I said the Vancouver Canuck Organization, City of Abbotsford, now the Abbotsford Canucks, and, and even the province of uh,
17: British Columbia. All right. Toronto FC and Montreal will apparently be able to play some home games in our actual homes this week and next in front of restricted size crowds, although the federal government says it's still reviewing the plan. Anyway, it, uh, if that plan gets approved, Toronto will host Orlando on Saturday. 7,000 will be allowed to watch. And the Red Bulls next Wednesday, 15,000 will be allowed for that game. Montreal will have Cincinnati in their home park on Saturday, where 5,000 will be allowed. Now, this is not permanent. This, I guess, is just a trial to see how it goes. However, the Vancouver Whitecaps still have to play their home games in Utah until further notice. They, too, are working on coming home as soon as possible, but they have not played at BC Place in front of a crowd at BC Place, I should say, since February 29th of last year against Kansas City. Well, despite all the speculation of him going to the Premier League or Paris Saint-Germain, Lionel Messi is going to stay with Barcelona. He's agreed to a new five-year contract with a 50% pay cut. But even with that cut, he's going to make somewhere around 45 million US per year and there are bonuses to bump up his wage. This contract is structured in such a way to help Barcelona deal with its financial issues right now. Well, here was a strange story this morning. Seattle Seahawks defensive back, well, former Seattle Seahawks defensive back, he's now a free agent. Richard Sherman is in custody after being arrested this morning on suspicion of burglary domestic violence at his in-laws home in Redmond, Washington. He was also involved in a single vehicle car accident before he was arrested. Sherman is supposed to appear before a judge tomorrow afternoon. He was playing for San Francisco. As we said, right now he's a free agent. His wife did say nobody was hurt, and this is out of character for him.
2: It's a good thing no one was hurt. That's true.
17: We'll find out more tomorrow, I'm
0: sure.
2: Thanks, Squire.
0: All right, thank you very much, Squire.
2: Well, it won't be the Abbotts Ford Canucks, but the Fraser Valley will see the first BC fans back in the stands since COVID. We'll tell you about it next.
0: Professional sports with fans in the stands are back in B.C. The post-pandemic era begins with a slam dunk for the Fraser Valley Bandits basketball team.
2: As Aaron MacArthur reports, other teams and leagues won't be far behind welcoming back spectators.
8: A typical shoot-around before a home game that will be anything but typical. For the first time in more than 600 days the Fraser Valley Bandits will have paying customers in the stands.
3: Having fans, they're going to be like that six-man, you know, so we're excited for it.
8: The Bandits, the first pro sports team in B.C. to get to have any fans since the pandemic shut venues down. Current Step 3 restrictions will limit indoor events to 50% of capacity. 1,800 tickets can be sold at the Abbotsford Event Centre. The game, almost a sellout.
0: Tonight's about keeping everyone safe but having fun at the same time.
8: Sports are slowly inching back towards normal. The BC Lions will see a seven game home schedule this year. Considering there was no season at all in 2020, it's much needed revenue for the team, for the city, and for the CFL.
1: Fans in the
0: seats have been very important to the CFL. For years, it's our number one revenue.
8: BC Place will have capacity for about 12 and a half thousand people for games in August. That number expected to increase once BC enters step four in September. And from touchless security to more frequent cleaning to cashless concessions, fans will be in for a much different experience.
16: We feel very well poised to um, ensure that our guests are incredibly safe when they come back here on August the 19th.
8: There are still some unknowns in terms of BC sports teams the white caps and canadians still playing their home games in the us the closed border means no travel by the time the puck drops on the 2021 canuck season there's a strong chance fans will again be fully part of the action Aaron mcarthur global news looking forward to that i've never craved a 9
17: dollar beer more than I do
0: now. <laughs> Crazy.
17: (laughs) But would you wear your mask in the building? Would you wear your mask in the building? That's the thing. It's hard to take that off for some people. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. Thanks for watching, everybody. Have a great night. Good night, all.